Hey everyone, welcome to this week's sermon podcast of Living Word Pretoria East. Here you can listen to our latest weekly sermons for your spiritual growth. We believe that this message will really bless you. Praise God, He's faithful. Amen. Such a beautiful presence and a sweet, sweet anointing here this morning. Are you glad that Jesus is alive? Amen. He's risen. And this morning I want to share that the resurrection makes a life possible in us. Something different. And, um, and it's by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit that God, Jesus, was raised from the dead. And that very same Spirit lives in us. Very same Spirit, He says, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, He made to dwell within us. Come on, say, I have that Holy Spirit. I've got that Spirit. All right. If you want to real be Pentecostal, I've got the ghost. I've got the ghost, the Holy Ghost. All right, you can say that as well. I want to read a scripture as we start from the book of 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15. One of my favorite scriptures that says that, For we are the aroma of Christ. Amen. You are the aroma. Aroma is a smell of fragrance among those who are believe, being saved and among those who are perishing. It says, I pray, the verse just before it says that, that you come to the fullness of the stature of Christ and, and the fragrance of Him, that we can spread the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. You can spread. Who have you put on, put on perfume this morning before you came? And I had, why? You want to smell nice? Right? You want to impress people? I don't know. Where's Chanel? She's, she's carrying the name now, Chanel. All right, very precious name. Great smelling name, Chanel. All right? So wherever she goes, she's got it. But the Bible says that we are the aroma of Christ. So there's something that the cross has done. Because who of you know that when we walked, it says when we walked in the flesh, we walked in our sins. And when we walk in the flesh, we smell like flesh. And the Word says your flesh is repulsive to God. Your flesh hates God. Your flesh cannot obey God. Your flesh, flesh opposes God. Amen? Do you know that? If you haven't known, maybe that's news to you. But your flesh, God hates your flesh. That's why we kill the flesh. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. We, we quoted it on Friday. And I don't live anymore, but there's someone who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith through the Son of God who loves me. And he says, now that you live in Christ, you as you walk, spread the fragrance of Christ. And you are the aroma of Christ, the aroma of God to those who are being saved and those who are being lost. So there's something that you carry. The cross makes something possible, not just the cross. The resurrection, because the resurrection is about that which is dead coming alive again. And we were dead in our sins. That's what the word says. You were dead. Come on, say, I was dead. I was dead in my sins. But now, by the resurrection power of Christ, I am alive. And the Bible is full of powerful, wonderful imagery. There's so much pictures and things about Christ and, and what He has done. And I started on Friday, remember? Friday morning I started. So this morning you're going to go through a, a crash course in Bible school quickly. All right, just going and a bit of hermeneutics and a couple of things. Are you ready? All right, so, so one of the scriptures I quoted on Friday was Genesis 2 verse 10 to 12. 
that says that a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. All right, and it continues, the name of the first was Pishon, and it's the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and it says, and the gold of the land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. Come on, say, the gold was good. Gold was good. So there's different rivers. It says four rivers. There's different rivers flowing. How do you know you have found the Pishon? How do you know, because we said Pishon means hope. How do you, in Havilah, suffering, so there's hope flowing through suffering. In the land of suffering, there's always hope flowing through that. How do you know that you have found the river called hope? How do you know now that you know that, that, that it's not some different river? How do you know you found the river of hope? Come on. Who can put two and two together? You found the gold. Amen. You can see he's an accountant there. It needs to make two and two, needs to, to add up. You have found the river of hope because there's perfect gold there. All right? Perfect gold. It says, and the gold was good. Now, if you scientists, if you like this, um, when we had, I don't know, they call these days all the NSV and all these new stuff and lectures, but we had Natske, Natir and Wetenskap, Natir uh, and Wetenskap. So when, when we had that, you had certain experiments and things that you've done in the, in, the, in the lab, isn't it? Now, have you known that perfect gold, when you put perfect gold in water, it makes a colloidal suspension? Have you seen all these chemicals when, when there's a reaction? So when there's perfect gold in a colloidal, it means just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a watery suspension when you're in that. It turns blood red. It turns blood red. So when there's perfect gold in the colloidal water, in the suspension, it becomes blood red. So interesting. There's a river of hope flowing through the land of suffering. And how do you know which one is the river of hope? The river of hope has got gold in its riverbed. So what color is the river? The river is red. The word gold is interesting. Remember the Hebrew language consists of pictures, pictographs. And each word is made of pictures. And each letter carries a picture. And the, the letter for, for gold, the first picture you get is an eye. The second picture you get is like a plowing equipment harvesting. The third picture you get is a picture of a house or the house of God. So gold, it's got three. It's an eye, an instrument harvesting, and the house of God. And it's interesting that, that when you read then, it says behold. So gold means this. Behold, the one who brings a substance for survival that brings us into the house of God. Behold. The one who brings substance for survival that brings it to us in the house of God. That's what gold means. Remember Hebrew, you read now, so just put on your Hebrew cap, all right? Some of you has got already that little space where the cap needs to fit. Nah, we see that. We don't hold that against you. All right, may God give us grace. So if you're a Hebrew and you read Genesis 2 verse 10, this is what you read. Hope flows through suffering because behold, the one who brings substance for survival brings it to us in the house of God through a river of blood. Come on. Okay, I said it's going to be a crash course in Bible school this morning. 
all right? Through a river of blood. Hope flows through suffering. Hope flows through suffering. So when water is turning red, what does it announce? Hope flows through suffering. Hope is here. Hope flows through suffering. Hope has arrived. Hope has arrived. So, so now we fast forward quickly, some, some hundred years forward, all right? And through a huge event of, of, of unfortunate events, lots of stuff happening, we find the nation of Egypt as, or, or the nation of Israel in Egypt as slaves. And for 400 years, they are slaves. And they hear that God says, you are my chosen ones. You are my called ones. I've called you to be a blessing. But they, they're not in a position to even bless themselves. How are they going to be a blessing to the world, to the nations? They're slaves. They're under slave drivers. There's a bunch of them, a couple of million of them. And they end up as slaves. And God decides, He says, I heard your cry and you're crying out in your suffering. I heard you're crying out and you're suffering and I'm going to come and rescue you. I'm going to come and rescue you. And it says, and they cry to God in their suffering. What was the first plague? There was 10 plagues. God put 10 plagues on Egypt. What was the first plague? The water turning to what color is blood? The, the Nile, their source turns to blood. To, to the Egyptians, it's a curse. But to the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, there's a buzz in the camp. It's like, hey, water is turning into blood. Something, hope has arrived. Hope in our crying out to God and our suffering has arrived. For them, they see something different. They say, hey, hope in our situation is here. Hope flows through suffering. Hope flows in our transition, in our wilderness, in our place where we slaves. Hope, hold on. Hope has arrived. There's a, there's a message that God comes and He gives to them. And through a series of events, the ten plagues and everything, God comes and He liberates them and they, they move out. It's finally time and they move out of Egypt. And what is the first place they cross? The Red Sea. The Red Sea. Hope flows through suffering. Hope flows through suffering because at the Red Sea, the backs are turned against the sea and, and Pharaoh and his army is on their way and God opens up the Red Sea and he says, hope flows through suffering and he drowns the nation of Egypt in the Red Sea. Come on, say hope flows through suffering. Hope flows through suffering. God can write a script, eh? And now they're in the wilderness and they walk and they, they get to the base of Mount Sinai. Now, I don't know if you have seen Mount Sinai, but it's a big mountain. It's quite large. And, and God calls Moses up to the mountain. All right, he says that, that you know, come up. I want to speak to you. And it's, it's quite a long walk. All right, I was near Kabul Karekini. It's a walk. It's three and a half, four hours. They walk up this mountain to get to where God wants to speak to them. And, and there's instances, if you go and, and read the book of Exodus, God calls Moses actually eight times. He calls him up to the mountain to speak to him. Eight times. Then he calls him alone. Then he says, bring the elders. Then he says, go. And this instance, God calls Moses up. And when Moses climbs his four hours and is getting there, God says, oh, I forgot to mention that uh, you need to bring Aaron with you. And he goes down and he needs to fetch Aaron. And he's like, you know. That was an interesting conversation. Can you just hear Moses like, man, 
you know, you God, you know, cannot you like beam him up or do something? It's a long walk. That time, that's the seventh time. So eight times. So at the seventh time, so he's been up six times already. At the seventh time, God says, oh, I forgot to tell you, bring, bring Aaron, the high priest, your brother. And this is in this moment because he's been up there with his elders at a certain place. And then God calls Moses higher. He says, come up higher. And he takes Joshua and he sends his brother Aaron and the elders. He sends them all back down to the camp and he goes higher. And then for seven days, there's a cloud of glory. And for six days, he stays there. And at the seventh day, God calls Moses to enter the cloud of glory. And then that's the place where Moses is in the cloud of glory for 40 days and 40 nights. So he's in this presence of God. That's the place now, the moment where God speaks. He gives us the Ten Commandments. He gives us the way how we should offer, how we should build altars. He gives him the pattern, the exact model of the tabernacle and where every implement and emblem and instrument and thing shall be. And he gives exactly, he says, this is the law according to purification. This is the law of the priest. This is the law how you should dress. So he gives everything. Forty days in this cloud of glory. And then he says, go and fetch Aaron. And what happens when he gets down to the base of the mountain? What, is, what does Moses find? The Bible says, and the people got frustrated and they were tired because they didn't know where Moses disappeared to. He left them. So they said to Aaron, hey, make us gods. And what do they do? They bring all the gold and the earrings and they cast a calf of gold. A golden cow. All right, and, and when he gets there, he sees how they worship this golden cow and he, he gets angry. He breaks the tablets. And what happens? It says that he took the cow and he beat it into small powder. And something interesting he takes the powder and he throws it into the water that comes from the rock. And what does he do? He makes them drink the water for the remission of their sins. When pure gold is put into water, what happens? It turns red. Hope flows through suffering. They sin. He puts the gold in the water. It turns red and he makes them drink it. And he says, hope flows through suffering. God forgives you. And the imagery is endless. There's so much images of this. One day a rabbi comes along. That's Jesus. And the people wonder, is, is this the one? Is this the Messiah? Is this the one that they, that they are speaking of? Wait a minute. Is this the one? And he shows up and, and there's a law in, in Hebrew hermeneutics. The law of Hebrew hermeneutics is a way of interpretation. It's the way of interpreting life. All right, so, so we need to interpret. So in hermeneutics and the way of interpretation, there's the law of first mention. All right. The law of first mention says that whatever is mentioned first defines everything else that's mentioned. That's why if you want to know about baptism, go and look at the first time baptism is mentioned and the longest, you know, way it's written on, on without breaks and stops. And that becomes your foundation for all the other baptisms and things. So it's the law of first mention. It defines all other mentions. So in other words, Jesus is now on his way. He's the Messiah. He appears and he, he needs to do a miracle. That's his first miracle. His first miracle. What's the law first mentioned? It means that this miracle is going to define the purpose of all 
the other miracles. This miracle is going to define all the other miracles. And he shows up and he does his first miracle. And what was his first miracle? Water into wine. And what is his point? Not to make the party better. His point was this. He says, hey, you are living in suffering. But hope is on the way. I am here now. And hope flows through suffering. Hope flows through suffering. And it defines all his other water. Three years later, miracles I mean, not water. Three years later, they kill him. They hang him on a cross and they crucify him. And at the end of his life, they stick a spear into his side. Why? Because he's the Passover lamb. And we, we dealt on it with Friday on the specific way, a Passover lamb, according to the, 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 the Talmud and the Mishnah, how it had to be treated and, and how it had to be dealt with. And they had to pierce so that all the water can come out. And so he's the Passover lamb and they pierce his side. And what comes out? Blood and water. Blood and water. And, and so at the foot of the cross, there's a steady flow of blood and water. It means that the fruit of the cross, there's always hope for you. The fruit of the cross is more about just getting to heaven one day when you die. He says hope flows through suffering. Hope flows through suffering. Hope, hope, hope flowing through your whatever you need. If you're in the wilderness, hope flows through suffering. If you're being rejected, hope flows through suffering. If you're going through a divorce, hope flows through suffering. It's at the foot of the cross. If everything in your life seems to be turmoil, turmoil, hope flows through suffering. If you don't know what the next assignment is that God has for your life, hope flows through suffering. If you don't know where you find yourself, where you're at, if you're lost, hope flows through suffering. He comes, there's at the base, at the foot of the cross. This is the message of the cross is that wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, when water is turning red, it means hope flows through suffering. So there's different images. So he comes and now we shift the gear. Jesus is crucified. He's put into the grave and something interesting Remember, he tells his disciples the whole time, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be persecuted. I'm going to be crucified. But the Son of Man, I'm going to raise again. I'm going to rise. I'm not, they cannot kill me. But they didn't understand. The whole time he's with them, he tells them, don't fear the one who can only kill body. He says, rather fear the one who can kill body and soul in hell. He tells them all these things. He prepared them. But they had no reference to the resurrection, except Lazarus. God resurrected Lazarus, and the whole time he tells her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he resurrects Lazarus. But yet still his disciples, disciples they fail. Every time he, he tells them, I have to go, I have to go to the cross. This is what's going to happen to me, but I'm going to resurrect. They didn't understand it. And they put him in a grave. Why? Why did they put him in a grave? They prepared his body, they bombed it, they put it in a grave because they didn't think he's going to resurrect. 
They didn't think that he's going to come back to life. That was it. It was done. They sealed the grave. If they thought maybe, you know, he's, he's going to resurrect on the third day, as he said, they maybe took him to the house, put him there in a chair and said, don't mind him, he'll, he'll raise up in the third day or something. But they didn't. They put him in the grave. It says it's final. It's done. And when suddenly he rises and the grave opens, it says in John 20, verse 6 and 7, remember, she comes and tells them that he's risen. And Peter and John, they run to the grave. And the Bible says, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So when he writes the account, he says that I was there first. You know, he needs to brag about it. Peter, you know, he doesn't. And it says, and then when Peter came following him, all right, that means he came second. John was there following him. Went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Jesus made a certain declaration. Again, the imagery. And I'm sure you've heard this one. You know about this one. All right? Face cloth, it says, by itself was in a different, separate place. And this is the imagery. If you were in the Hebrew culture, part of what they do, if you invite me to your house and we have dinner together, we need to do business, the way that I will know that you want to come back, you want to do business with me, is the way that you fold the napkin. All right? You scrunch it, you, 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 you make it, you scrunch it, and then you fold it and you put it in your plate so that when the servants come and they fetch your plate, they see this is the way your napkin is folded and says, aha, okay, you like me. You want to do business with me. You want to be invited back again. If I didn't want to, I had to straighten it out. I fold it in a certain way and I put it aside to the plate. So when they come, they realize, man, okay, you don't want to do anything with me anymore. All right? You don't have interest doing business or whatever. And this was a nice way without confrontation to say that I'm not going to come back this way again. So the custom of the folding of the napkin was important. And this is what the Bible says. That's why it says it so clearly. It says that when they got to the tomb, the linen was in one place, but the face cloth was folded and placed, set aside at a different place. And what they say is this. They knew when they entered that grave, they knew what Jesus says. He says, my business with the grave is done. I'm not coming back this way again. My business, I've got no business anymore at all with the grave. A writer later, Paul, he writes and he says this. He says, grave, where is your victory? Death, where's your sting? Don't you know that Jesus has got no more business with you? He's the resurrection and the life. He has defeated the power of sin and death. He broke the power of sin and death. Amen. He broke the power of sin and death. He has taken away all of your power. Doesn't mean that we're not dying. It means sometimes we die. He says some of you will sleep. Some of you will just change. But notice, it kind of holds you down. One of the messages of the cross and the resurrection is that death has got no sting. The grave has got no victory. Amen. I want to say if there's any place in your life that looks dead, if it looks dead, maybe it should be dead. 
If there's certain things in your life that's dead, maybe it should be dead. It's either dead or resurrection is guaranteed in your life. The either two, all right? It's either something that you need to release in your life, but if it's something that God wants in your life, nothing in your life that God wants in your life will die. Come on. If it's dead, it's maybe something you need to release. But if it's something that God has said over your life and that God wants in your life, it will not die. He is the resurrection and the life. Because Jesus has done business with the grave. He's not going. He broke the power of sin and death. And resurrection and life will bring it back in your life. Amen. So that's the napkin. That's the thing that Jesus said. And then the last thing, because there's a, there's a way that God calls us now to walk in this resurrection life. The same that God says, death cannot hold you down. There's a way God calls us to walk. Remember 2 Corinthians 2.15. For you are the aroma of Christ. And it's our job, the verse before that, to spread the fragrance of Christ. You are called to spread the fragrance of Christ. From the beginning, God says, build an altar, make a sacrifice. And it says, and the smell of the sacrifice was pleasing to his nostrils. There's a pleasing aroma when there's a sacrifice unto the Lord. And the last image that I want to talk about is the sponge. Remember that sponge that they took to Jesus. There's this one place in this time of crucifixion that it doesn't actually really make sense. It doesn't make sense because they want to kill him in the most brutal way. And Jesus, just before he says, it's finished, they bring a sponge with vinegar and wine to him. Now, if you've watched the, the movie, The Passion of Christ, and you look at the cross, it's quite high up there, six feet up. But that's not the real way how the cross was actually, all right? The cross was only about one foot up from the ground. There's a couple of reasons for that. It's, it's less work for the Romans, right? They have to take the body down later. But there was one particular reason, because why? If you were crucified, one of the things is the people that you've wronged, the people that you've, you know, been a thief to or whatever, they were now close enough to come, walk by. The people that you hurt, they can come. And it says, and they could spit on them. They could ridicule them. They could taunt them. They could strip them naked. That's what they've done. Remember, they, they throw dices for his clothes. That's why it wasn't high up there. If you spit high up there, it's just going to fall back in your face. It had to be close because that was the humiliation and the mockery. Remember, you want to kill him now in the most brutal way you can. So it was closed down about a feet from the ground and they could come and spit and humiliate and ridicule and taunt them and make jokes and all these things. And it doesn't make sense that if Jesus says they remember, he said, I'm thirsty. Because remember all the fluids running out of him. And he says, I'm thirsty. And someone at the foot of the cross says this, hey, I'll go and fetch you a drink. I'll go and fetch you a drink. It doesn't make sense because the whole time they've been trying to kill him in the most brutal way. The most humanly way possible, the worst way. 
Why will they do all of that and suddenly when he says, I'm thirsty, they're like, okay, no, let's give you something to drink. Let's help you now. They're trying to kill him the whole time. And now at the last minute, they want to say, okay, here's something to drink. Doesn't make sense, does it? You can answer no. What happens? What's the imagery here? It says someone went, found a sponge on the end of a stick, soaked it in sour wine and vinegar, and then placed it up to his mouth. And he says, and Jesus turned away, and when he has done that, he said, it's finished. Gave up his spirit, and he blew his last breath. Isn't it? You see, the cross is twofold. I said on Friday, Christ carried a load and carried, he bore a cross that we could not bear. But then he calls us and he asks that there's a cross that he calls us to bear because we can. You see, the story of the cross is about receiving the mercy and the hope, hope flowing through suffering, forgiveness, all these things. But the story of the cross is also offering something back about a life that you live that's different. You were dead in your flesh. You were stinking, rotting away. He says, but now walk in a way that you can be and spread the fragrance of Christ. You know what this, this sponge, this, this picture of the sponge was? Francia, you can put that pictures up. Just hold that one for a minute. So if you don't know what that is, that's public toilets in ancient Rome. Public toilets. All right? And what happens if you travel a far way? I'm sure all of us, even now, we've got cars these days. If you travel and sometimes you've got a nervous moment, you're not going to make it to the house. You need to make a pit stop somewhere. I think all of us have experienced that in our life before. The same way they traveled. Remember, they were walking everywhere. And they were not just walking everywhere. They ate a lot of lentils. All right. So the same happens. A public toilet was there. And, and they had public toilets. And, and that's a picture made out of stone. And every about three or four feet, you find one. It was open. There was no cubicles or things like that. You know, there was, there was um, no shame about it. They had no problem, all right? But if you had to go and do something serious, all right, how do you clean yourself? How, how do you clean yourself? I don't want to be gruesome, but I want to give you the idea of what happened at the cross. You can put the other picture up. There's another way. That's just in a building. But do you see that what they have in their hands there? It's a little stick with a sponge. You only had four options if you had to go to public toilets. And beggars found a way to make extra money. And what they will do is they will find those sponges and put it on the end of sticks. All right? And they will come up behind you when you're done and they will clean you. They will wipe you. But the problem is, if you're number 100, there's a lot of wiping that's been done. It's unhealthy. So they found a way to sterilize it. They put it in spoiled wine and vinegar. 
and that will kill the bacteria. So they flush it. That's where you see that thing where it's flushed. Spoiled wine and vinegar, and they will, they will soak the stick in the sponge, kill the bacteria, it sterilizes it. So when Jesus says, I'm thirsty, someone is cruel enough to say, I'll give you something to drink. And they run to the public toilet and they find a sponge and they dip it in this, the vinegar mixture and they bring it to him. What does that mean? It means it was used. It was used. Shove it up in his face. My question for you is, is there any place in your life where you're receiving the benefits of the cross but what you're giving back to Him, you're offering back to Him a dirty Roman sponge. You come to the cross with a humble heart. You want everything the cross has got to offer you. Because hope flows through suffering. The Jews thought about this. Every time they come to an altar and they sacrifice, they come for what the sacrifice can do for me. But it's also what I'm offering to God, what I'm bringing unto God. So are you receiving mercy for your sins? Yet what you're giving back to God in your life is like that dirty sponge. It stinks. What is it that you give back to God? When we receive the cross, He says, your life is not your own. I call you now to walk in a new way. I mean, how many of us, we want the benefits and the salvation of the cross, but we still want to walk in our own ways. We want to walk in our flesh. We want to enjoy sin because it's fun. Isn't it? To keep on walking in the old way after receiving the benefits of the cross means like that you put that dirty sponge in his face. Something happened to the sound now. You know what happens when you take that sponge and you shove it in his face? It just falls back on you. It falls back on you. When your offering back to Jesus stinks, it's only going to affect your life. It's going to affect your life. You know, Jesus on that cross, that very same people that does this says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them for they do not know what they're doing the same people God forgives is there a place that you want the mercy the benefits of the cross but what you give back is like a dirty Roman sponge one of the messages of the cross is this that our lives might be a sweet smelling fragrance unto the Lord that's what it is. One more thing, then we're done. Jesus, the word says, dies exactly at the ninth hour. Look at this. At the ninth hour of every day, it was exactly the time the priest had to offer the sacrifice of incense unto the Lord. 
Exactly at the ninth hour, they had to bring the sacrifice that was a sweet-smelling fragrance unto God. And they proclaim and they say, let our lives rise as a sweet-smelling incense in your nostrils. That's what they do when they sacrifice or burn that incense before the Lord. In other words, the Jewish people, they wanted to smell right before God. They wanted to smell clean before God. And it's an incredible imagery of what God says. Because one of the imageries of the cross is that our, our lives smell sweet to Jesus. Not like the sponge. Come on, let's close our eyes. I want to challenge you. Not just to receive the benefits of the cross. But that you actually allow the kingdom of God to be established in you. So that what you offer back to God is a sweet smelling aroma that pleases Him. And I'm going to read Romans 6, then we're done. So while you sit with your eyes closed, listen to what God says. Listen to what He says. Because we're in resurrection of Christ. And this is what the cross has done. He broke the power of sin and death. But the fact that he's risen, he walks, he causes us to walk in a new life. Romans 6 says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him in baptism into death. And in that order, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. As members to God, as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are a slave to the one you obey? Either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, but now you've come obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you committed. 
And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Just as one presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you now are ashamed? We had some fruit in our life that was dead, that was rotten. And he says, the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6 is such a powerful, powerful scripture. Powerful chapter. That says, if you struggle with sin, it's only because you say yes to sin. Because Christ broke the power of sin. And it's got a hold over you no more. I want to encourage you this morning. That Christ calls us to live in the fruit of the newness of life. One that's a pleasing aroma unto God. Not to give Him a fragrance that stinks but to give Him something that glorifies Him. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's just close our eyes as we end off. Father, we just come and we say thank You, Lord, for this morning. Thank You, Lord, that we have the honor of celebrating the resurrection and the life of our King. And this morning, on a, on a very serious tone and and note, Father, we come to say we've maybe missed it where we wanted the benefits of the cross. But that what we offered back to you, the way we walked, the way we dealt with life, the way we treated. It was like a dirty sponge back into your face. And today we come and I want you as I pray this to make that choice to say today, I don't just want the benefits of the cross. But today I choose to start walking in such a way that my life will be a pleasing aroma and a fragrance unto God. That that what I give back to you, that what I offer back to you is pleasing unto the Lord. Another translation or scripture says, walk in a way and in a manner worthy of the calling. Father, that we will come this morning and start walking in a manner worthy of the calling. For God says, I have called you with a holy calling. And you are a royal priesthood. Father, that we will carry that fragrance of Christ. And it will spread the knowledge of Him wherever we go. That we will be pleasing aroma unto this world and unto you. We bless your holy name. We thank you. Say so thank you that you made it possible by being resurrected. You gave us life to overcome sin and death. And I release that over us this morning, Father. That we can walk in the newness of mind and in the newness of life. 
sin has got no hold. There's life in you and life in abundance. <coughs> Bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give God praise. I know you're blessed. Thank you for being here this morning. We love you. And uh, I've arranged that tomorrow you can take off. So enjoy the time. We bless you with that. And just know that we love you so much. If anyone needs ministry or prayer, we are here. Come. Don't be shy. We, we pray with you. We minister. Otherwise, just fellowship together and just know that you are loved. Enjoy this time. And remember, you're a fragrance unto God. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to know more about who we are and what we do, go visit our website on lwpe.co.za. You are formed to function, so let's build.